This is episode fifty-four. It's called Choked Up. Uh, actually, that's not the real title. That's the working title of this episode. That's the that's the title that I gave Avery to read. Um, it's more of the gentle, not too scary title because today I'm going to share a little bit about from our experience anyway, what it's like and what to do when a child chokes. So the title is actually more directly and more bluntly, uh, the risk of choking for kids with disabilities. And when I say kids, I'm including teens here as well. So right off the bat, there is a content or a trigger warning for this one, because this episode's a little sensitive. It's not really for kids listening ears. Because I'm going to be talking about some trauma related to feeding and choking. And just know ahead, though, that Avery is totally okay. And we got through it all fairly unscathed. But it is is pretty unnerving to relive it and to hear about it. So if this is something that you're not really comfortable hearing, then maybe choose another episode to listen to today. And (laughs) while you're browsing through any episodes that you may have missed, maybe consider possibly if you don't mind, if it's okay with you and if it's not any trouble, um, perhaps maybe leave us a review or even five stars if uh, if you'd be so kind. (laughs) Why am I so awkward? I find it really hard to ask people for things. Are you like that too? It is so annoying. Anyway, as is the nature of the podcast scene, um, reviews and ratings can really help get our podcast heard by more people. So that is why I am asking uh, awkwardly. Anyway, if you're sticking around, let's just dive right into this one. It's all about when kids choke. Hey, everyone. It's a very bright life. It sure is. Your life is so bright. I gotta wear shades. We are so happy that you're here with us. Let's do this thing. So the unnerving fact is that children are at a higher risk of choking than older kids and adults. And children with a disability or a chronic illness can be at an even higher risk of choking than typical children. So kids are more likely to choke if they have a disability like cerebral palsy or epilepsy or intellectual disability or asthma or gastroesophageal reflux disease, something like that. And so why do kids choke? Well, I can't speak for other children with disabilities. I can only go from what we know about Avery's situation. But generally speaking, I think it makes sense uh, for babies and toddlers because they're constantly sticking stuff in their mouths and doing so at a stage when their airways and their ability to chew and to swallow are still developing. So it obviously makes sense that they are more vulnerable to choking. And you'd think that once kids are older, they would be less likely to choke, right? And that is true in many cases, but this isn't always the case for kids with certain disabilities. Like Avery, like a lot of kids with her genetic deletion, have something called hypertonia and no, hypotonia, hyper, hypo, hypo. 
which is uh, a decreased uh, muscle tone. And it's sometimes called floppy muscle syndrome. And with that, um, with that muscle weakness or sluggishness, it makes eating safely a little more tricky. And then there's also other oral motor issues as well, where kids aren't able to chew or suck or swallow food and liquids independently and safely. Like uh, oral or verbal apraxia, which is the inability to get the mouth to do what the brain is telling it to do. And this happens due to motor planning difficulties. And then there could also be a delay in the basic development of the musculature that is needed for eating. So any of these situations plus more can keep parents with disabled kids on high alert at mealtime. And I I have to say, like feeding Avery was super stressful for us for a really long time. Like from the get-go, actually, in the very, very early days, Avery was fed through an NG tube, a nasal gastric tube. We did that for quite a while while we were waiting for her to have uh, G-tube surgery, which if you've heard in a previous episode, we didn't end up doing that because while we were waiting for her surgery, and a G-tube is a tube that is inserted into her stomach, so you would feed directly through that um, into her stomach. And um, so anyway, Avery was sick several times between then and the surgery, and so it was eventually canceled because in that time, for whatever reason, um, she started eating enough by mouth successfully um, that we were able to forego the surgery. So that was our experience with that. But for the time that she was fed by NG tube, it was <laughs> it was quite something. Because of her hypotonia and severe reflux, basically every single thing that went into her stomach through the tube found its way up and out and just basically everywhere. So watching your child uh, vomit violently is, uh, it's rather unpleasant, but the scary part for us was making sure that she didn't aspirate. And then there was the whole procedure of when she would dislodge the tube and we would have to use a stethoscope to make sure that we guided it right back down her, um, what do you call that? Throat? No. Where did it go down? Her windpipe, her trachea, you know what I mean. No, not down her trachea. God, no, that would be delivering stuff right into her lungs. We did not want that. We did not want that to happen. But you had to um, feed it down and uh, into her stomach. And then you had to use a stethoscope to make sure that you were actually in the stomach and not, you know, somewhere else. So that, God, I can't even remember doing it. I just remember doing it and then crying after. That's a, that's a topic for another day. Anyway, I guess this would be a really good time to discuss the difference between choking and aspirating because we have experienced both. So choking occurs when the airway is blocked by food or liquid or some kind of object. And aspiration is when food or liquid or some kind of foreign object is breathed into the lungs. Um, we sometimes call that going down the wrong tube. Aspirating can happen during choking, but it can also be silent, meaning there's no outward sign that it happened. And I, I hate that. I need signs. I need a, like obvious signs to look for. And when they're not there, I'm a hot mess. But um, people, so yeah, people aren't always aware that 
fluids, um, like from the stomach contents perhaps have entered their lungs. So if you ever suspect that your baby or a child has aspirated liquid or food into their lungs, definitely err on the side of caution. I just said err. <laughs> That's a totally unintended pun. Um, but take it seriously though and get it checked out because aspiration is definitely a medical emergency. But I'm not going to go much further into that. If you want to know more about the topic of aspirating, you can just Google it. Fun times. But do not look up silent drowning. <laughs> I made that mistake after I was watching Oprah one day, way back in the day when she had her show and she was talking about that whole dry drowning, I think it's called. And yeah, so then swimming with Avery ever since has been unnecessarily stressful, I think. So I think sometimes the more you know, isn't um, all it's cracked up to be. Anyway, moving on, let's talk about what to do when your child or anyone actually is choking. Um, oh, but first I thought I would read you a post from our blog about a time when Avery choked and her brother stepped in. Oh, this is something that I wrote a few years ago and I reposted it on our website and it's there now if you'd like to have a look. And here is a little bit uh, from that story. Avery's big brother laughs whenever I remind him to chew his food. To him, grapes are just juicy mouthfuls, but to me, they are ominous orbs of imminent choking. I mean, I'm not completely unreasonable about it. I stopped cutting his grapes in half like ages ago, well, last year. But one ordinary mo morning, I made breakfast for the kids. My son had his usual nutty granola with yogurt and fruit, while my daughter had cereal without nuts because... <sighs> They're way too choky. She had yogurt and a banana mashed. And as they ate, I quickly ran upstairs to grab a hair elastic. And I was only gone a minute. Uh, isn't that always the way? And then I heard a kitchen chair push quickly away from the table, followed by silence and then staggering footsteps. By the time I got to the top of the stairs, Avery was on the first landing, reaching out for me. Mom, Avery's choking, my son yelled from right behind her. He grabbed her around the waist and started the Heimlich. A few pumps, and he dislodged the end tip of a banana that was caught in her throat. And then Avery cried and said, that banana hurt me while holding her neck. Though I had coarsely mashed the chunks of banana into a creamy mush, a small pointy end bit remained. It didn't even occur to me that this would be a danger, but it turned out to be just that. Due to its size and slippery shape, it became lodged in her little throat. I have lots of friends who let their kids, some even younger than Avery, eat in front of the TV or in another room. It's fine, they said, and I'm sure it is. But it seems the minute I try to treat Avery like any other kid, something happens to remind me that she is not like every other kid. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that happened, and that was a long time ago, but I still remember it quite vividly. It was... Yeah, you can't really, un you can't unsee that kind of thing, you know? But can I just say, how amazing is Avery's brother? Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know that he knew the Heimlich. And I asked him after, I'm like, how did you know how to do that? And he was like, yeah, I saw it on a, t on a TV show. And I'm like, seriously? God, thank God. And I wish that I could say that that was the one and only time that he needed to do something like that. But sadly, it was not. Because over the years, Avery has choked like numerous times and we have been very very lucky the first time she choked when I was by myself 
um, was at Ikea when I took her out for lunch one day and she was totally okay, but we caused quite a scene. Let me tell you, um, we didn't need any intervention because she coughed it out on her own, but oh, and that was years ago. And it still makes me nauseous when I think about it. Uh, it also makes me think about those yummy meatballs and those cinnamon buns out of the size of your head. I think, oh, look at that lunchtime. Go figure. And then there was this time, uh, and I wrote about this experience as well. This one is a bit traumatic. So if, uh, if you're not into it, now is probably time to click off. But um, here's a bit from that story. Uh, just to confirm, I said click off, just so we're clear. Um, and this story is about a time when both of the kids had this awful cough, this lingering, weird cough. This is way before COVID, mind you. And the doctor prescribed Avery an inhaler, which ended up having some very adverse effects that we did not expect. And I wrote more in detail about that on the blog, but one of the side effects was vomiting. So I'm going to pick the story up there. Within 48 hours of beginning the flow vent, Avery lost her appetite and complained of a sore stomach. Then that night she vomited. She was having a sleepover in her brother's bed, something they do often, thank goodness. Because he shouted downstairs to ask us to come up quickly, he said that Avery wasn't breathing. He sat her up, and by the time we got there, only seconds later, she was choking on her stomach contents. I don't know how long it was before she vomited again, dislodging whatever was caught in her throat. Maybe a minute, the longest minute. Avery has been sleeping with me ever since, so neither of us is sleeping much at all. So two days after that, I made Avery her favorite lunch, mac and cheese, which she declined. She said her tummy hurt. I asked her to take a sip of her water to stay hydrated. The second the water hit her stomach, she gagged. Then she choked again. She couldn't breathe. Her lips turned blue. And I screamed out for my husband and he took control. And then she vomited again into the sink and she caught her breath. I took her back to the doctor, a walk-in clinic doctor, because our family doctor was away, but he didn't take me very seriously at first. And then I got really upset and then he listened. And then he confirmed that four times a day for the flow vent was actually wrong. We should have been at two times daily. He prescribed an additional Ventolin rescue inhaler to open the airway in case of emergency. And that emergency came three days later. After a few days with very little coughing, it seemed Avery was on the mend. So we spent the day at my parents' house, playing and having lunch by the pool. I went inside for a few minutes. See, it's always a few minutes. And I heard a sudden gasping and I ran back outside. Avery was choking again. My mom told me to go get the emergency inhaler. I searched the pool bag, but it wasn't in there, and I completely panicked. Then I remembered it was in my purse in the house, so I ran inside to grab it and came back. And Avery was pale. Her lips were blue. Her brother was beside her, telling her to breathe through her nose. As I got closer, she vomited onto the pool deck, which cleared her airway. My hands were trembling from adrenaline, and I struggled to get the puffer to her mouth to give her a just-in-case puff. Then Avery said in her typical Avery way, I'm fine. I'm so sorry, you guys. She was sorry for upsetting us. We stopped the flow vent inhaler completely after that, and though the cough remained for a bit, the other symptoms greatly improved. No more upset tummy, no more spontaneous vomiting. 
Just a side note and a flash forward to the present day. Uh, just the other day, I was speaking to a friend about COVID and some other viruses and stuff. And I remarked to her that it, how wild it was that Avery's never vomited like in her whole entire life. And I couldn't believe it. And then I went back um, into my blog archives for this post and um, I read some of these articles from way back and I realized that Avery used to barf all the time. <laughs> but for some reason, obviously trauma related, I completely blocked it out like mentally. Aren't our brains cute like that? Like the way they try to protect us from the hard stuff. Anyway, back to the story. So I'm sad to say that my son has had to see any of this more than once. And now my parents too. It's an upsetting image to carry around and it's a very hard one to shake. We returned to my parents to spend Labor Day poolside. And the moment I saw the spot where Avery had choked the week before, I couldn't breathe. I felt ridiculous and kind of frustrated with myself because the sun was shining. There was food diced into small, safe pieces and an air mattress with my name on it. Avery was fine and we had things under control. But when I closed my eyes and tried to breathe evenly, I found myself being pulled back in my mind to the day that Avery was lying unconscious in her crib in a pool of vomit, not breathing. She threw up during a seizure and the feelings all came rushing back. My head spun and my heart raced. Try putting your head between your knees in a bathing suit. It's not pretty. I eventually got it together. And of course, my family didn't make me feel weak for having this moment of weakness. They understood. And even more now, unfortunately, than before. Things will get better and we'll find our way back to family life without fear. It's just going to take time. So yeah. That's that. So here we are today. Um, this was like six or seven years ago, and things are better. There are still challenges and fears and some lingering trauma, <laughs> clearly. But we did find a few things along the way that definitely helped make feeding more comfortable and successful and less choky. And I think having strategies in place is really important um, for, a for a child's safety, but also to give us as parents a sense of control, which control always makes me feel calm and um, calmer, calm-ish. So here are a few things that we have found kind of helpful. So in the early days, we thickened Avery's formula, and that, that might sound counterintuitive, but thicker liquids travel more slowly down the throat, which makes them easier to control. And you can use commercial thickeners or pre-thickened beverages, um, yogurt drinks, things like that. Then we moved into pureed, like smooth but not runny foods, and then um, on to soft, small enough to swallow with little or no chewing kinds of foods, like ground up food, like that you maybe would grind in the blender or the food processor, and but still leaving a little bit of texture. Um, and then when we had a handle on those, you can move, we moved over to dicing foods into like little wee bite-sized pieces. And then depending on where your child is developmentally, foods are one thing, but there are also like any number of toy pieces or household items or even little rocks. Oh God, I remember Avery used to put rocks in her mouth all the time. Um, they can get stuck in a person's trachea um, and that's freaky. But for me, it's mostly about the food hazards because unlike the little buttons or the marbles or the pebbles or whatever, kids usually get, um, grow out of that stick everything in your mouth phase, and then that season is done. But for us, and for lots of people with disabilities, food can just, it can remain a concern for years, or forever even. And I have been 
teased many times for cutting up Avery's food for her at her ripe old age of 15, but it is necessary. So of course, now I'm teaching her how to cut up her own food and how to assess, how to properly assess what an appropriate bite-sized piece is for her, um, because I'm not always around. She's at school on her own. She you know, visits people and stuff, and they offer her food. And so that it's important for her to be able to be proactive in her own mealtime safety. And you're probably already aware of the most chokeable foods, but if you're not, here's a list. Hot dogs. Avery doesn't have them very often, but when she does, I cut the wiener in half lengthwise. Just give it like a little slice down the middle, and then I often fuse the two halves together with ketchup. So it's uh, it's safe and flavorful. Uh, Nuts and seeds. Uh, Chunks of meat. Meat can be really chewy and hard to grind, especially when you have hypotonia or uh, uh, fine motor challenges. It's very hard to coordinate that motion. And so meat can be a very difficult one. Fortunately, as flexitarians, uh, we rarely have meat, so it's not really a problem. But upon occasion, uh, where are we now? Um, Grapes. Goddamn grapes. I used to cut them into quarters and now... I'm okay with halves, and the same goes for cherry tomatoes. Um, and oh, hard candies or sticky candy or those round lollipops, hard candy pass on that. Popcorn. Funny enough, uh, here's a little aside. I choked on some popcorn at the movies once. Super embarrassing. Um, I was at the movie, this was a few years ago. I was at, I was a full-grown adult at the movies with my parents and these young kids in the row behind us were just making all kinds of noise, chatting and laughing and just being obnoxious. So of course I turn around and use my like my teacher voice and I'm like, could you please be quiet? And then I turn around, and I felt quite satisfied with myself. And then I inhaled a piece of popcorn and started choking. And it wasn't serious, but I had I was coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. So of course, and rightly so, the kid behind me told me to shush. (laughs) So I guess I had it coming. But anyway, um, and what else? Oh, peanut butter, like big chunks of peanut butter or dollops of peanut butter are a no, unless you're using it to sneak pills into your finicky dog. But for humans, uh, we spread it thinly on whatever surface, like bread or crackers or whatever. And raw vegetables, so healthy, but so choky, like baby carrots. Um, Nope. But unless they're steamed or now I've actually started slicing them, the baby carrots into like little julienne strips, just like a little bit thicker than like say a slaw or something. And that works really well. So she gets to eat raw vegetables, um, but safely. And then nacho chips. Those are super choky and I'm always hesitant to let Avery eat them, but she needs to practice at some point, right? Like not specifically eating chips, but like crunchy things like that. And I think I think I have residual um, corn chip trauma from watching a colleague of mine choke on a triangular piece of it was like Doritos or something one day at lunch. And so we're all sitting in the teacher's lounge and we're wolfing down our lunches as teachers do. And my teacher friend inhaled like just a little corner of a chip into her windpipe and she could not breathe, like legit could not get any air in or out. And so my friend Allie, who's basically a superhero, sprung into action. And then she gave her the Heimlich 
and the chip came flying out. And we all just sat there speechless watching this whole thing unfold. So I think now I'm a little bit afraid of Doritos, although not afraid enough to give them up because delish. Yeah, so those are some of the choky foods, but anything that's hard or a weird like tubular or round shape are a little a little sus. So, so in a, in a medical emergency such as choking, you could do what I did and just go completely pale and just stand there frozen, like not knowing what to do and thinking that you might actually just full on pass out from fear. So you could do that, um, but that's not all uh, at all helpful or empowering at all. So you could also, and I suggest this uh, course of action, take action. So you can watch videos online or on TV like my son did, and you can learn the Heimlich. Or you could even sign your family up for something like a St. John's ambulance course to learn what to do in a medical emergency. I think, I think gaining knowledge and, uh, and skills like that is always a great way to take control. Um, whenever I feel prepared and I have plans and procedures in place, I just feel more at peace. And that's always a good thing. Um, and luckily, Avery doesn't remember any of the big choking events, and I'm very grateful for that. But she is aware of her tendency to choke while she's eating because it still happens quite often, uh, but not the, not to, to the degree that it used to. It's more of like a choking and sputtering, like, you know, when you get like, um, like water kind of down the wrong way or whatever. So there are a few eating rules that we have to remind her of pretty much every day. So I thought Avery could share those with you. So here's Avery with her four main eat safely rules. I always eat something safely and things I do. I put my food in my mouth, but I I had to swallow it before I had to drink my water. When I'm eating, don't stand up, only sit down. Do not overstuff. It's too much food. Take little bites while you, you swallow. I do not talk. Or laugh with food in my mouth. That is all on my tips right now. What did the duck say after she bought some lip balm? Put it on my bill. On your bill? Yes. That's like your beak? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. So thank you so much for sharing the podcast and for leaving us comments and reviews. We really appreciate it. We are just thrilled to see this bright, beautiful community growing in this way. And if you know somebody who you think might enjoy this podcast, perhaps a disability family or just somebody who likes to chat, please send them our way. And if you'd like to leave us a comment or if you have questions or topic suggestions, you can leave us a comment on our podcast page on our website, which is linked in the show notes. Or if you want to get super fancy, you can leave us an audio message on the Anchor app. I know, it's super cool. Okay, thanks again for listening and we will talk to you soon.